guys, before we get started today, wanted to remind you that the Meaning Time show featuring Lenny is fueled by Gatorade. Gatorade's proven formula, whatever path you take, greatness starts with G. Also, the annual NBA on Christmas Day tradition continues with five of the best gifts anyone could ask for. The star-studded schedule starts at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on ESPN, with the Hawks taking on the Knicks at Madison Square Garden. Then over on ABC, the Celtics square off across the Bucks, followed by the Suns hosting the Warriors. Then on ABC and ESPN, the Nets, my Nets, battle the Lakers, with the day capped off by the Mavs clashing with the Jazz at 10.30 Eastern, 7.30 Pacific on ESPN. What a Christmas Day lineup. Welcome back to the Minicom Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts thinks a bad spot is a dog who was kicked out of boarding. That's Lenny. I'm Mina Kimes. Uh, it is the week of Christmas, and so as a gift to you, my listeners, I am partnering with my good friend, collaborator, Bill Barnwell, to... Basically, uh, admit how stupid I was all year. Um, something we've done in the past. I think, Bill, you and I have done this is like gifts for NFL teams. Mm-hmm. But this year, I felt like the best gift uh, that we could give our listeners is eating crow. How do you feel about that? Collaborator sounds like the thing you say when you've committed a crime. Like that is the only context I know Collab- collaborator in. Well, that says a lot about you, it my does. friend. That's, That's true. like abetting, not collaborating. A collaborator is like um, I'm trying to think of um, like a musical example. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's like if you bring on someone for a track. Maybe if you have like a like guest producer for one song, or, that'd no, be like a collaborator. I was thinking more like you know Judd Apatow and Seth Rogen or something. I don't know who's who in this scenario. Um, you know, like, like I guess that's more of like an actor, director, not really a collab. Anyways, whatever. We're collaborating. <laughs> this is a collab, as the kids say. Um, and the way we're doing it, you and I discussed, is we're each just going to take turns apologizing for stuff we were wrong about before the season. Uh, because I think we are clearly far along enough in this season to have a sense of what those things are. Yeah, I feel like this is a good chance for us to clear the decks just get our consciences right before the end of this miserable 2021 year and start fresh in what hopefully, and I keep saying this for the last three years now, hopefully can't be worse than the year before 2022. So if it's all right with you, I'll go first. Please. We can alternate. Um, and a lot of my apologies are quite topical, I think, headed down the stretch. And this one involves a team that I'm sitting in ESPN in Bristol recording this and Right now, this team is being discussed on television in front of me. Can you guess what team that is? Bill, this is not hard. It's ESPN. The Dallas Cowboys. Yes, the Dallas Cowboys. (laughs) Um, So my apology here is to the entire Dallas Cowboys offense, including defensive coordinator Dan Quinn, for dramatically underestimating them coming into the season. Right now... Going into week 16, Mm -hmm. they are third in defensive EPA per play, third in DVOA, first against the pass, third in opposing QBR. Uh, Since week six, they've been third in pressure rate. That's really come alive. We can talk about that in a second. But undeniably, at this point, one of the best defenses in the NFL. And to prepare for this apology, I actually went back to my notes Mm -hmm. from my, uh, my NFC East preview pod, in which I was not 
pessimistic about the the Cowboys, period. But I did say that their best chances, her hopes, I guess, of making it to the playoffs were the defense being average. <laughs> and um, I was particularly critical of the secondary. Uh, and, you know, I thought, I said, well, you know, DeMarcus Lawrence is awesome. He's been awesome. He'll continue to be awesome. Obviously, at that point, I had no idea what Michael Parsons would be in the NFL. Mm-hmm. But I, I was just rattling off the names in the secondary. Anthony Brown, Jordan Lewis. I mean, Trevon Diggs, he's okay, but that's it. And so I, I, the personnel in the secondary did not impress me, and I am an idiot. <laughs> Can you think about a team in the past, Mina, that just happened to add – like multiple, and this is obviously way too early, but multiple Hall of Fame caliber talents on rookie contracts in the draft. Is there a team that comes to mind for you in the past 12 years or so that just happened to do that and it drastically changed the fortunes of their franchise? Yeah, and I remember, I, th- I think I thought their defense would be bad too back in like 2011 or whatever. Uh, talking about Seattle. Um, now, actually, the, with Seattle, it was like a little bit more of a slower roll because they mm-hmm. had. They drafted them like over the course of a few years, right? Like right. Um, Sherman was 2010, I think. Then yes. Kent Chancellor, maybe Savior, Thomas. Then 12 was Wagner. Um, but yeah, I, obviously I had no way of seeing not just Micah Parsons, but Osa Digizoa, how good he's been. But I, I think the I almost owe a bigger apology to Dan Quinn. Mm-hmm. I, the Parsons of it all has obviously had a massive effect. It's kind of like a trickle-down effect or trickle-everywhere effect on Mm -hmm. this defense because he is one of the most versatile, um, just all-purpose defensive studs we've seen in the NFL this early, like, ever. Mm -hmm. But I thought Dan Quinn would come in and it would be the same old cover three and... Um, I didn't think, you know, he was going to make the secondary better. I didn't think there would be any creativity. And on that front, I was wrong as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, think about Gus Bradley, right? And Gus yeah. Bradley's a good defensive coordinator. Like, I'm not taking a ton away from Gus Bradley, but think about the Raiders. Like, those two Chiefs games this year. The Chiefs, the story the entire year has been, okay, just play too high. And it doesn't solve all your problems, but it takes <laughs> away a lot of what the Chiefs do well. And we get to the Raiders game, and Gus Bradley's like, nah. Like, this, this, is, what I, this is what I'm good at. So like, this is what I'm going to run. Chiefs destroy it. They get to a rematch. Same thing. Gus Bradley's like, yeah, you know what? We're going to be better with cover one this time. And, and it didn't work out. The the Chiefs destroyed it both times. I think it's a real credit to Dan Quinn because yeah. like a lot of coordinators don't make these kind of changes, especially coordinators who have been successful with those defenses in the past. And yes, granted, having you know a guy who's going to intercept 10 passes helps. Having Micah Parsons helps. Well, let me ask you, actually. I mean, our... our I'm sure you'll talk about this on live if you've not already. Are, are either of the Cowboys stars, Micah Parsons and Trevon Diggs, are either of them your pick for Defensive Player of the Year? We are not talking about this on live. Uh, so I, 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 gosh, I, I thought Miles Garrett played well mm-hmm. last night against the Raiders. Um, I think, However, he had the opportunity to put together a kind of performance that could seal the deal. I mm-hmm. don't think that happened, especially like seeing them down the stretch driving, the Raiders driving. Mm-hmm. Um, again, this is not entirely on Miles Garrett, who I thought made some pretty significant plays in this game. But the door was not shut. Let's mm-hmm. just put it that way. And I think I don't have a pick just yet. I'm going to totally cop out of this answer. I'm going to wait till the end of the season. I feel this way about like a lot of the awards also, mm-hmm. candidly. But um, I think he Mike up, not Trevon Diggs. Mike, I think he absolutely belongs in the discussion. 
I mean, who is he comparable to? Like, I just help me out here. I mean, when you watch him play and see how he's used, what comes to mind? There's not really a good it's comp. Crazy. Like, like there are guys, there are inside linebackers who have racked up a ton of sacks in the past. Someone like a Daryl Washington, but that was usually, you know, uh, mugged up pressures. It was yeah. like I'm going to line up in the A gap and I'm going to get to the quarterback through the middle of the field. It wasn't like I'm going to also be an edge rusher and be really good at that as well. Like, those are two totally different jobs, and mastering one of those jobs for a rookie is so difficult to do. And yes, like I, I feel like now the like sort of trendy thing is to be like, oh, well, Parsons isn't actually all that good in coverage. And it's like, no, he's a rookie, but he's fine in coverage. And he's also an incredible pass rusher, an incredible like green dog rusher, an incredible, uh, yeah. you know, sideline to sideline tackler. Like he does so many things well that like, I, I think the comparisons to Lawrence Taylor are misguided just because they're different kinds of players. Like, you know, like Parsons has been incredible as a rookie. He's going to be an all pro. He's going to be on my all pro team. Yeah. And there's not many guys who have been rookie all pros. LT was one of them, one defensive player of the year. And I think I, I would actually take digs, which I know is not going to like be the really? popular opinion. Just like even with the lapses in coverage, even like I feel like the lapses in coverage are overrated. Like, I feel like people saw that one Patriots game where he had the interception and then had the long yeah, the touchdown fall, afterwards. Fall, yeah. And I feel like everyone was like, OK, this is what we know about Trevon Diggs. Like he's Marcus Peters now. And like, yes, he has had given up some touchdowns here or there. But like, it's so valuable to intercept 10 passes. Like, it's yeah. such a game changer. Like you, you create so much for your offense. Um I'd probably take Diggs. I know he's going to get like one vote, so I know he's not going to win. Yeah. But like Parsons, like I, I can't think of the last team that had two legitimate, like possibly top three, top four defensive player of the year candidates it's wild. on their defense. It's, it's wild. And like in this last game um, against the Giants, Demarcus Lawrence, I feel like he was like, "Hey guys, remember I'm really I'm really freaking good too. <laughs> I also have the ability to take over games." Although if, if you watch like the combination of him and Parsons, like you said, whether or not Parsons is lined up outside or green dogging or, or whatever, it's it's a nightmare for opposing offenses. Um let's wrap here. Are they the best defense in the NFL? I think the Patriots are better. But I think I think the Cowboys whole, take over games in a way that no other defense does. And I think that's the scary thing is that, like, you might get a game against them in the postseason where they just, you know, turn you over four times and you have no yeah. chance of winning. Okay, bud. You're up. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> what do I want to apologize? I'll go in the opposite direction. You apologized for not uh, believing in the Cowboys. I will apologize for believing in this team too much. The Jacksonville <laughs> Jaguars. What did you say? I said they were going to win the division. No. I did. No. I did. That's rough. You know what? Sometimes. That's rough. I, I don't know if you know this, Mina. Sometimes we say things before the season because they're more interesting than likely to be correct. <laughs> and uh, this this was one of them, as it turns out. And I, I'll cop to this. Like, like, if you read my tweets, if you read my columns before the season, I was optimistic on the Jaguars improving by a pretty significant margin from one in 15 numbers said they were going to improve. I felt like, of course, adding Trevor Lawrence to your roster instead of having Gardner Minshew and uh, Mike Glennon and Jake Luden at quarterback major upgrade. I, I, I didn't think Urban Meyer was going to be like a hit as an NFL head coach. <laughs> and and I, I felt like it might be like a Chip Kelly thing or maybe he'd be good at first and then it would kind of fizzle out after a year or two. And I guess what I want to ask you is this, like, 
after he got fired, I feel like there was an, just a flood of people saying, oh, we all knew this was going to happen. Like, this was obvious before he ever even took this job that it was going to be a fiasco. Do you think that is fair to say, given what we knew about Urban Meyer coming into the Jaguars job? That it, it would be a fiasco or that he'd be fired in a year? I, I think that it would be a fiasco. I, I don't know uh. that it would be, like, as bad as it has been. But just, like, the idea that it would not work, whether it would take a year or two years, but that, just that, like, he had no hope of succeeding as an NFL head coach. No, I don't think so. I, I think... I'll. I think people were critical of him as a person, but at the time, and this is like a, you know, kind of a thankless exercise in trying to put our finger on the, the pulse of what the sentiment was around coaching hires and um, on in various platforms. I think the overriding sense I got was people said, well, this guy is dubious, but he has won football games. Mm-hmm. That is what I remember. Um I have kind of shied away from trying to predict whether coaches will be good that mm-hmm. as a rule now. Um, you know, I, with him, I, I felt comfortable saying this guy sucks because <laughs> I felt that way and I believe it. But as far as the football side, I had no idea how bad he would be. I mean, so I think in, in that along those lines, um, I don't think I was alone. Yeah, I mean, like I, I, I can believe that he would be a mess off the field. I can believe that. He would not be a great leader, but I just thought the offense would be okay. Like, like I, I figured, okay, they have not just Urban Meyer, but a slew of former Seattle Seahawks offensive coordinators to assist him with Daryl mm. Bevel, with uh, Brian Schottenheimer. Like, there were so many professionals in yeah. the room that I was like, well, like, they if they have Trevor Lawrence, they have some veterans at receiver. Um, they have LaVisca Chenault, who looks very promising. They have DJ Chark, who's very solid. Of course, Chark got hurt. Um, they have a competent offensive line. Not like the best offensive line in football, but it's not like it's the, you know, the Texans offensive line where it's just like, oh, my God, this guy's going to get killed. It just sort of felt like, okay, like maybe they won't be good, but at least they'll be functional and solid on offense. And I mean, this is before Meyer got fired. It was like every week felt like they had not played with each other before in offense. Like there were just so many like snaps where it would just be, you know, Trevor Lawrence expecting a wide receiver to settle and a wide receiver continuing on his route and Trevor Lawrence would throw the ball into the ground or screens that just were not close. Um, it, it just felt like they were not on the same page ever. And that was kind of the scary thing is, you know, it'd be one thing if it was a lack of talent, but yeah. it just felt like they were the worst coached offense in football, which is the one thing I would have counted on given the people they added to their coaching staff before the season. I think that's well put. I'm mean, actually watched the Jags this weekend <laughs> out of morbid curiosity. Um, and by the way, I'm going to actually, there might be a good transition coming out of, to my apology because mm-hmm. it does involve Trevor Lawrence. Um, and I want to, you know, I, 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 I will confess to you guys, I have not watched every Jaguars game this year. <laughs> Mina Kimes, I know. I'm lazy. I, I'm a fraudulent taster. Spreadsheet. Um, Spreadsheet person. I just look does. at the dots. I just look at that Lawrence dot. And it looks good. No, and it, it's, it's pretty stunning, man. Like, I think from the other prior games I've watched, there I saw a lot of the same, which is the line is not good. They're not disastrous, though. No. Candid, I, I, like, compared to actually what some of the other rookies are working with, which we can get to. But, um, mm-hmm. it, but it's like... A mixture of Lawrence making a few awesome throws, making some very bizarre misses, candidly, having watched him in college, mm-hmm. and then guys not getting open, right? And it the there's not a lot of creativity in the offense. 
everything looks really discombobulated. Now, we should note, of course, they lost, um, you know, you mentioned Chark and then Robinson was out for a while. Mm -hmm. You lose Dan Arnold, ETN before the season even begins. This is not a good group uh, of players around him. But it is just remarkable how um, poor the execution is. And defensively as well, like... I thought the pass rush would be better than they've been. Uh, and you've seen, like, flashes of it with, mm-hmm. like, for example, the Bills game, right? Uh, but up front, I think just given the amount of draft cap- capital they invested in the position, it's been a disappointment. Obviously, with the secondary, you've got that weird C.J. An- Henderson trade. And mm-hmm. I, I just, yes, I, I don't think I would not have seen this uh, this whole team as being as bad as they were, even though I didn't like Urban Meyer, even though I knew they were bad the prior year. So before you get to your next uh, your next apology, let me ask you a question. Mm. If you had to bet a million dollars, how many more years do you think Tavon Austin will be in the NFL? Because Ooh, every year I'm like, okay, like this is probably it. Tavon Austin mm. showed up and played like 10 snaps and got hurt or got cut like not that i want to see Tavon austin lee but i'm just like i've made up my mind like okay this is it for this dude and every year somehow he comes back and he's catching passes it's incredible to he's me 30 he's 31 um wikipedia says 30 but maybe it's 31. sorry all right no no wikipedia says 31 you're right um thing is i can see him catching on as a returner mm-hmm. somewhere so I think at least a couple more years, at least. It, it it feels like he's like the Cordero Patterson outside of the return like, yeah. skills. Like he's just going to show up at like 36. And, and be awesome. Be awesome for somebody, <laughs> un- like inexplicably. <sighs> is Before we move on to my apology, um, is the Jaguars job incredibly undesirable? I don't think so. I, I don't I, either. I, I feel like you still have Trevor Lawrence. Like you can just burn all the tape from this year and just use the men in black machine to convince Trevor Lawrence this year never happened. Um, outside of the Urban Meyer situation, the the ownership there has spent money and been pretty patient. I mean, they were patient with Gus Bradley. They were patient with Doug Marone. Um, frankly, I mean, given that people wanted to fire, fire Urban Meyer after he didn't fly home with the team, you could say they were patient with Urban Meyer to even give him as long as they gave him. Um, you know, I, I feel like that stuff makes this an appealing job. I see. What you, yeah. Let me look at their cap space. I think they've got a lot of cap space, right? Too in twenty twenty. I, I mean, like, is there anyone who you feel like they're yeah, so committed most. to that they're gonna like they they're just like, like we, we spent money on, you know, uh, Jamal Agnew. Like, we're not willing to move on from Jamal Agnew. The shining light of the season. Um, <laughs> so, what would you do? I, I think obviously you want to bolster. You you need better pass catching options, and then I would say mm, a corner. Yeah, I mean, I think if they have one of the top two picks, they're going to draft one of the two edge rushers. Yeah, one of the two edge rushers. I, I, w- I would suggest they should trade down, but if they don't, like, one of the two edge rushers is fine. Yeah, I haven't looked at enough of the draft, but yeah, I think there's a lot of areas of need. Um, okay, well, this is a good transition to my next apology, because mm-hmm. um, it does involve Trevor Lawrence. I would like to apologize for overrating the rookie quarterbacks mm-hmm. <laughs> headed into the season, or really overrating how they would play this year, which mm-hmm. I think 
is a combination of me not just overrating their abilities based on what I saw in college in the preseason, but also underrating the situations they were walking into, Mm -hmm. underrating the adversity rather that they would face. Um, So as of this moment, well, it's actually not as of this moment because I grabbed these numbers before uh, Monday Night Football and Justin Fields played, but I doubt they've moved that much. So QBR, Mac Jones 13th. So that that he's the one who I did not <laughs> who's exempt from this, uh, and then we've got Trevor Lawrence twenty eighth, Justin Fields thirtieth, Zach Wilson thirty first. Adjusted net yards per attempt: Mac Jones seventeen, Trevor Lawrence thirty, Justin Fields thirty one, Zach Wilson thirty two. DVOA: Mac Jones thirteen, Trevor Lawrence twenty nine, Zach Wilson thirty one, uh, Justin Fields thirty two. So those three. Uh, Trey Lance has played. So whatever we don't have to talk about him. Um, I underrated. Kyle Shanahan's love of Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> so put that in a pin because I'll, I'll have the opportunity to talk about the San Francisco 49ers, uh, who will probably be a playoff team. So the three quarterbacks that, you know, like are obviously have had disaster seasons include Lawrence, who you and I have been talking about, mm-hmm. um, Fields and Wilson. Uh, so, and then I think Field, Lawrence and Wilson play this coming week, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so that's going to be yes they do the jaguars and the jets Mm -hmm. so that'll be gross but um a lot of thoughts because i watched both of the uh, i watched all three actually of these the the bad quarterbacks this week Mm -hmm. um and again i I usually watch games guys i just at this point in the season don't usually watch the crappy teams because i don't have to (laughs) but um it's there's a different i have different i don't think like there's a catch-all like wow all these guys are in bad situations like they're all very unique Mm -hmm. You, you and i have been kind of talking about lawrence I think the one thing I'll add with Lawrence is um, it's like there are still some high highs. Like every now and then, even in this last game, he'll make a throw that's extremely impressive. Mm-hmm. But the down 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 to down consistency is is so different from how he looked in college. Mm-hmm. And you see some also, I would say, not just uh, inaccurate throws, but some poor decisions that I don't know if it's like pressing or bad habits or what. Um, something that's really a bummer watching him is mm-hmm. the lack of a deep passing game, yeah. which is something that you actually have gotten from Wilson and Fields at times, who I'll get to in a second. Lawrence has a great arm, but that just, Bill, does not exist in this offense. Yeah, I mean, there's just, you know, I, I think a lack of confidence in Lawrence and his linemen. I mean, this is a guy who, yeah. you know, is playing behind much better offensive lines in college, had mismatches in college, like, you know, I, and that happens a lot with young quarterbacks. Like, I think that takes time where it's just you have that confidence to stay in the pocket and and throw downfield. You know, I think at some point, like in, in your head, the game is sped up. And so I think you're just like, OK, I got to get the ball. got to get the ball out. Like, have to just, you know, keep myself alive because otherwise this game is so fast that I'm going to get destroyed. And I think, you know, before the year, maybe it, there was that sense of, OK, well, Trevor Lawrence has been such a preternatural prospect. Like he stepped in from high school to Clemson and was a starter, you know, immediately and was playing at a high level immediately. Um, And that hasn't been the case. I think with the other guys, I think there's different arguments, right? You know, I think with Justin Fields, the idea was, okay, you know, like this is someone who has a more unique skill set. But of course, Matt Nagy is going to take the offense that he has and, you know, with it full offseason to prepare, he's going to prepare an offense that makes sense for Justin Fields. We're going to see boots. We're going to see, um, you know, we're going to see some quarterback run game. We're going to see, you know, an offense that plays to his strengths. And with Darnell Mooney and with Allen Robinson, he has downfield threats. Well, Allen Robinson's been hurt. Hmm. Justin Fields has been inconsistent. And Matt Nagy has done absolutely nothing. 
to make the offense easier for Justin Fields. So the so we're coming after the Monday night yeah Monday night geez, game with the Vikings. Um, first of all, Matt Nagy freaking out of the refs, incredible hail mary for populist approval, which honestly <laughs> I respect. Um, you know but, what it's like. Yeah, you know what it's like it's like when you get bullied as a kid. And you see someone else, and you're like, "No, bully him instead." Like, like you like try to transfer the bullies on them. Like, no, and I'm going to pick on this other guy, and he it works. Truly chose the most popular, unpopular humans on earth, which are refs. Um, yeah, but again, like the offense, you watch them; it's they're a disaster beyond mm-hmm. fields, which I'll, I'll get to in a second. Like they're constantly, they must have more uh, offensive penalties than any team in the NFL, right? In terms of. That's a good question. Illegal like formations and motions and such. Um, they got an offensive offside last night, man. First of the season. Historic. That's incredible. It was poor Daz Newsome. <laughs> and it was, it was. I, I think they pointed this out in the broadcast. They were on the 10-yard line, so it was unfortunately like super obvious. Like if they were, <laughs> if because he was like right on the line. Um, yeah, Nagy's going to be gone. I think with Fields, like, if you're a Bears fan, you actually feel pretty good because he has, I think, shown improvement as the mm-hmm. year has gone on. And, like, you, you've had, like, some games, even the one last night, where, it, but the Steelers game comes to mind. There are moments in the Packers game where you, you, you are getting increasing, not just glimpses of, like, the dazzling playmaking ability with the feet and the deep ball, mm-hmm. but also um, he showed he's accurate. But, the you know, problem is, well, a couple problems, uh, still holds on to the football a little bit too long, and then he takes some of those super sacks. that yes. um, it, it actually... To me, the question is like, okay, that might never go away with him it, in a way that um, players like Josh Allen, Deshaun Watson, when he was playing, and Russell Wilson also take bad sacks a lot and also have some of those problems. The difference is those three players consistently, they're so consistently counteracting that with positive plays that they outweigh them. With Justin Fields right now, the positive plays don't outweigh the sacks. So I think it's less... A question of like, will that part of his game go away? I don't think it ever will, but more mm-hmm. just can he be more um, accurate consistently enough so that it doesn't matter? Yeah, I, I mean, certainly it feels like if he's going to be good, it's going to be high risk, high reward. It's going to be yeah, big shots down exactly. the field. It's going to be running the football. Uh, and you're going to have to take some of those those big sacks, going to take some of those you know, plays for loss. I and mean, we've seen other quarterbacks deal with that. Lamar Jackson takes a ton of sacks. Joe Burrow takes a ton of sacks. And those guys are able to counteract that, like you said, because they do make so many big plays. Let me ask you. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot here. So I'm going to give you a second to think about this one. The Bears are probably going to be hiring a head coach to replace Matt Nagy, unless he successfully convinced the Bears that the refs were the problem all season and that he's actually <laughs> been doing a great job. So if the Bears are going to replace Matt Nagy, I asked Robert Mace this on my podcast, Mina, who do you think the Bears should hire to lead Justin Fields into the future? I thought Mace had a good, a bunch of good ideas. You know, he talked about um, Byron Leftwich, you know, playing that's not exactly the same, but the offense um, emphasizing the downfield passing game, mm-hmm, right? For sure. And I think there's a lot of validity to that, obviously, coming from. Uh, organization where they know how to make sure players line up properly as well. <laughs> um, I still I I like Eric Bieniemy though for this team. Yep. Um, I think the, I, I think most importantly I w- I would go with an offensive coach no matter yep. what. I think they've got a really good defensive coordinator. I think you really saw that on display by the way the Vikings game. Holy smokes! The fact that, was that so weird, dude. They were those those were uh, Rams preseason eleven legend Mark Marquis 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 Christian. Well, now I'm like ruining the bit because I can barely yeah. remember. 
uh, Thomas Graham, like all these practice squad dudes were crushing it for the Bears. Um, so I just think they, they got to get the offensive stuff figured out. Do you not, can, is there not an urge in you to bring up at least one fake player in talking about the Bears secondary? <laughs> uh, I, that, that was the one thing I was upset about with Urban is that we didn't have a press conference where <laughs> one member of the media asked Urban about like uh, a, a fake player on his team and whether. Uh how he thought that guy was doing because urban would have 100 gone for it i love that idea and I, i'm really sad um all right that was a lot of apologies from me and just one from you so let's take a quick break um reminding you guys that this podcast is sponsored by dr pepper college football is back and so are the fans return to glory with fansville by dr pepper the one fans deserve this show is sponsored by better help do you ever wonder what you would do if you had unlimited hours in the day Would you pick up a new hobby or focus on one you've neglected lately? Would you spend time with those people you haven't seen in a while? Well, there's a chance if you've considered having more time in the day, you're too overworked, stressed, and you haven't spent enough time focusing on yourself, that's where BetterHelp comes in. Therapy can be the spark to help you organize everything in your life and prioritize yourself. The journey of self-improvement isn't an easy one, but I believe when you devote time to your mental health, you become a better version of yourself. So let BetterHelp be your guide along the way. Give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MinaShow, M-I-N-A-S-H-O-W today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash Mina Show. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Wow! Okay, Bill, so we had two apologies from me, one mm-hmm. from you. So let's get another one from you. Okay. Let me go with a guy who works with Eric Bieniemy, the person you just mentioned before the break. I'm going to talk about Clyde Edwards-Alaire because, man, I was all in on CEH this year. I just really? Felt like, I felt like he was going to be like the number one player in fantasy football. I, I just thought about all the things the Chiefs had done this year. I thought, okay, well... You know, he's going to get the goal line work he didn't get last year because Patrick Mahomes got hurt mm. on a speed option in the playoffs, and they're going to take that stuff out of the offense. I thought, okay, well, they couldn't run the ball last year inside the five-yard line. They just went out and invested a ton of money in their offensive line. They brought in Orlando Brown. They brought in Joe Thune. They drafted Creed Humphrey. They drafted Trey Smith, who turned out to be great. Um, they're going to be better running the football inside the five-yard line. And I even thought, Mina, that, okay— Teams are going to do what the Bills did and the Texans did last year and play a ton of too high. And one of the ways to beat that is to run the ball a ton. <laughs> and the Chiefs would be better running the football. As it turns out, I don't think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is actually that good. I think that's the problem. Like, I think if there was a different back in these situations, this might all be true. Like, if it had been Jonathan Taylor, if they drafted Jonathan Taylor in this spot instead of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I think they would be running the football very effectively. I just don't think watching Clyde Edwards-Alaire run that he's like a great running back. Uh, um, 
you know, what also strikes me as so strange about all this is that heading into his rookie season, there was this argument of, oh, it's not just a running back the Chiefs are drafting, but this is a guy who caught a ton of passes at LSU. I think his senior season at LSU, you know, competing with Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase for targets, he caught 55 passes. And it was, okay, this is going to be, you know, the Kareem Hunt role for Clyde Edwards-Alaire. He's caught 18 passes in nine games this year. Like, he is a afterthought in that passing game. So the goal line work has been inconsistent at best. Obviously, the fumbles hurt. He cost them a game by fumbling uh, on that final drive against the Ravens. He got hurt for a bit. But just, like, this idea that he was going to be, like, this Christian McCaffrey, like, supercharged back that I had in my head, it just has not come together this year for him. Against the Chargers on Thursday. Chargers. The worst run defense in football. Not even that. Not not even, like, the worst. (laughs) Not not only the worst, but, like, the defense that actively encourages you to run. They don't It's not even that they're bad. No, they want you to run. They just don't care. They would like you to run very much. They would love for you to run. 32 yards on nine carries. (sighs) The, The one thing I'll say is, outside of a couple of games, there was one game where, like, Derek Gore went off, Mm -hmm. and Williams has had a couple of decent games. No one ever looks that great running the ball, which is weird, by the way, because the Chiefs, I don't know how they're sixth and rushing DVOA, but they are, but it doesn't make sense to me. Because they're facing, like, four-man boxes, I feel like. I guess. Yeah, and they kind of, oh, God, I just looked up. Uh, and there's a video, and it's Aaron Rodgers in the back of his show wearing a cancel culture hoodie. I was gonna. I mention, hate it here. I, I was gonna, gonna mention that. To I was like, I'm not gonna. I'm just tired. I'm not gonna troll me. So tired. Um, but the word cancel culture is crossed out, so it's a, it's a clever meta commentary on how we've canceled cancel culture. You see, um, real galaxy brain stuff. Okay, so do, let me ask you this: setting aside the CEH question, like, mm-hmm. do you think? the Chiefs could be effective running the ball more if they wanted to. Yes. I, I, I think if they ran more like power concepts yeah. and they really committed to coming out with, you know, uh, two tight ends on the field and they used, um, who's their fullback? I can't, Michael Burden, right? No. Um, God, I know who it is. Maybe it's I, Michael Burden. I think it's Michael Burden. I don't think it was him in the past. I think they had someone else in the past. They had uh, Anthony Sherman. In the past. Yeah, that's who's in my head. Yeah, they have Michael Burden now as okay. their fallback. Like, if they had, if they just, okay, we're just going to line up and run the ball. Like, I think they could do it, but I just think that it's so boring. Like, I, like if you're Andy Reid, if you're Eric Bandy, which do you want to call, like, power and trap? No, you want to throw the football. And, like, I, I think they run almost begrudgingly as opposed to doing it as, like, a focal point of their offense. And I think um, we've seen it hurt them. You know, I, I feel like it would be... It's, it's weird, something though, that they were able to do in the past. Like, they, when they had Kareem Hunt, they could run. I, I I wish I'd grab these numbers, but I, I feel like they run really efficiently on every opening drive. <laughs> yes. Which is, you know, of course, the Andy Reid thing, right? Like, that the opening drives are always amazing. And it's not mm-hmm. just running. I think you've seen week after week since the Chiefs offense started, they initially started struggling a bit. Um, the opening drives look very different from the rest of the game. Successful screens. Actually, on this last game against the Chargers, they used Michael Burton. Remember? He had uh, a couple of big... He had the touchdown, which was comical. And then he he had another big play. And I was like, what? I think that's... Yeah. Anyways. um, So they have that capacity. 
it is a really puzzling. But I do think you're, I do think CEH certainly has not lived up to his draft status, but I also think it's worth asking, like, how does he look compared to the other running backs on their roster? Like, Derek Gore looked better in that one game mm-hmm. than CEH has looked the entire season. As me. someone who spent, like, his entire free agent budget in fantasy football on Derek Gore, I absolutely agree with you. I I, I sort of feel like, this is weird to say, given, the, you know, where they spent so much money, it kind of feels like their biggest need this offseason is to get a third weapon in this oh, passing yeah. attack. Because it feels like they are just so dependent on Travis on Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. And Hayden Kelsey's getting older. I know he had, had a phenomenal game last week, but he's been inconsistent. Tyreek, it feels like once every couple of weeks, like he'll leave a game with a hamstring injury for like four plays, and it'll be terrifying as someone who has a lot of Tyreek Hill in fantasy football, and then he'll come back and be fine. But it just sort of feels like, you know, McCole Harpin hasn't worked out. CEH is not a viable third option in the passing game. Josh Gordon showed up and has a touchdown, but he's not Josh Gordon. Like, it feels like, mm. you know, who knows if Juju would have got hurt being the third sort of yeah. option in this passing game. He would have been, would have been so useful for this so team. He would have been so perfect for this team. Yeah, and what, exactly what they need. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think it's interesting because we've had we've heard a lot of rumors about them kind of looking at receivers in the draft or free agency like Juju in the past. Mm-hmm. And I think Hardman, it, it's the question they have to face is like, okay, if we want to add another wide receiver, like what kind of receiver do we want? And I think it, w- it they would be best served just seeing the way the defense is playing them now and how they struggle by having a more of a possession guy like Juju mm-hmm. who can kind of reliably work underneath. Um, I want I want Allen Robinson. I want one or, year yeah. of Allen Robinson with a good quarterback, not being the focal point of the offense. Mm. Like it might not work he out. He might great get hurt this year though. He He's been bad great. this year, but he was hurt a lot. You know it. what? I want to see it just for his sake. Christian Hackenberg. Uh, who did he have after that? Who was his Blake Bortles and uh mitchell trubisky like he deserves one year just just i want to see it happen okay so this apology is kind of mediated by what's happening lately (laughs) i want to apologize for saying the arizona cardinals would be the worst team in the nfc west clearly incorrect but however (laughs) cliff kingsbury I'd like to apologize for absolutely nothing. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I mean, I was obviously way, 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 way too low on this team. Uh, clearly better than my decrepit Seattle Seahawks. Uh, and I I do think there are things that I did underestimate and then things maybe you know, that have sort of changed. I mean, granted, uh, a, a lot of the struggles I do think have to do with the loss of... Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, shocking, lose one of the best wide receivers in the NFL, and also J.J. Watt. Um, that said, I the defense was significantly better than I thought they would be. I mm-hmm. I, I thought the secondary was going to be one of the worst in yes, the NFL, and they sure. have been far from it. I think in recent weeks you have seen them exposed a little bit at times, um, the cornerbacks in particular, but they're certainly they, they were really, really good at times during the season and are definitely at least average or above average, and then I think the defense did not regress the way I suspected they mm-hmm. would. Again, struggling now, run defense. We can talk about the fact they're playing the freaking Colts on Christmas, which could get really ugly, but this team is uh, a lot better than I thought they would be. Yeah, and they've done this with having J.J. Watt for half the season. Yeah. Like, he, you know, has been hurt for... I mean, he, obviously he was there for the stretch when they were playing really well. They were started 7-0 and before Watt got hurt. But, you know, they, they've still held on. I think for a chunk of time without JJ Watt. I mean, 
This is a team starting at cornerback, Byron Murphy, who is a good slot corner. Mm. Nothing wrong there. They're starting Robert Alford, who had not played since 2018. He had been out for two years with injuries at cornerback. And then uh, Marco Wilson, who was a rookie fourth rounder, who is not playing well, but he is, you know, he they're at least surviving with him at cornerback. Like they've played some great quarterbacks and those quarterbacks have not been able to just destroy Marco Wilson over the course of the season. I think you have to give credit to Buda Baker. I think the linebackers they have there and Isaiah Simmons and, and Zayvon Collins and Jordan Hicks, they've all been playing well and they have been, you know, I think Simmons has improved dramatically from what we saw as a rookie where he was like borderline unplayable for the first half of the year and getting Marcus Golden yeah. for, for basically nothing. Um, a guy who had been productive with them earlier in his career, got hurt, went to the Giants for a year, was pretty good. And then, you know, it was okay last year when he got, went back to the Cardinals and had, you know, has 11 sacks this season. Like, you know, I, I mean, as good as Chandler Jones is, like he had five sacks in the opener and has four and a half sacks over the ensuing uh, 11 games he's played. So it's not like he's been, you know, the best player in football by any means. I just think, you know, they're well coached. I think they are, um, you know, that they have so many athletes that they are, are really, they can fly around the field. And I think that's really valuable. And, you know, I, I think I'm almost more concerned, strangely, heading into this final stretch of the year about the offense than I am about the defense. The offense looked very bad <laughs> against Detroit. Um, and they looked bad, I mean, in a way that kind of reminded me, even though they were better, of Kyler's rookie season, mm-hmm. where it was just build the whole plane out of Kyler, run around and make something crazy happen. Um you know, you, you see that with Hopkins out. Like, A.J. Green, oh, as a number three? Okay. Like, actually, you know, like, a great option for right. them. Uh, maybe, you know, getting more out of him than you, you might have thought. And Christian mm-hmm. Kirk slides down, and then R- Rondell Moore can be your your screen guy. But then when you take Hopkins out, everyone kind of slides up a roll, and suddenly uh, it's no longer tenable. I think a big a big problem in this particular game, and this is something that it has been an issue over the last few games, is the offensive line has really struggled. An offensive line that was playing a lot better than I expected early in the year. Now, granted, they haven't had Rodney Hudson, and that's mm. enormous, especially considering the fact that Max Garcia like has a weird snap like once a game. <laughs> I don't know what the hell's going on there. But, um, yeah, I, I think you, you saw in this game against Detroit, they were not prepared mm-hmm. for Detroit's pressure package. I mean, I, they were blitzing Kyler. You could not blitz Kyler the first half of the season without getting destroyed. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case right now. Like that to me um probably has a lot to do with Hopkins frankly being out, but that is a big problem for this team going forward. Like you're 100% correct, but that's such like a smart football person opinion to have. Like, oh yeah, Rodney Hudson being out really hurt their protectability. I mean, come on, with the right, snaps though. are fumble. I mean, it's like you know, you don't <laughs> like, smart to see that. But, but it's it's just like that would be the thing you would say to seem smart. You are actually smart. I'm not saying that guy because it's 100 percent correct. It's just like the classic, like, oh yeah, they were missing the center. You know. Oh, what do you think about Kyler? Like, what do you what do you see right now? I see a guy like he doesn't have easy answers for stuff. Yeah, you know, it feels like like. Cliff is going to run a lot of core concepts a lot. And that's fine. Like, you can do that and succeed. Sean McFay does that, you know, dressing up a lot of stuff. They don't really dress stuff up as much, though. Like, they do a little bit here and there. But, like, they're famous for, you know, in the air raid for lining up DeAndre Hopkins on one side of the field because that makes it easier to 
play fast and and to reduce the amount of strain you have and, and get the same reps in the same spot and that's fine like there's nothing inherently wrong with that but we've seen now for the last couple of years they felt kind of stale and beat up and and easily figured out by the end of the season it doesn't feel like they have that counterpunch and that felt that way last year we kind of blamed it on injuries and some of it is is losing Hopkins for sure and some of it is not having Hudson in that Lions game but it felt like the Lions were just more prepared. It felt yeah. like they were like a step ahead of the Cardinals throughout that entire game. And, you know, Kyler still made some magic happen. Like there were some crazy passes in that game from Kyler. But to get to your original point about Cliff, like this is supposed to be a year where Cliff has figured this stuff out. Like, this is a guy who was, oh, why isn't he coach of the year? Why is he not getting that kind of reputation? Why don't people believe in the Cardinals? And like one game doesn't prove everything. But like if you watch that Lions game, it felt like they did not have an answer for the Lions that entire contest. And like, you know, I, I think Dan Campbell is, do I want to say a good coach? I, I I think the Lions are playing hard for Dan Campbell. And I think they're a fun team to watch in their own strange way. But like, it's not like they had a talent advantage. It's not like they were no. overwhelming the Cardinals. Yeah. Like they were just better prepared and executed so much they, better than Arizona did. They also caught like a Jared Goff great game, which is just <laughs> wonderful. Like when that happens, like Jared Goff was just on in this game every now and then because he still he for all of his flaws, he has a very good arm, right? Like Jared Goff can make like incredible throws under pressure, and if he just happens to string together like five of those, you can you can just get screwed if your offense isn't executing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Cliff was all over the place in this one, man. Like. First half, barely running the ball, just tons of screens. You could tell he uh, knew that they were like it was just very, very fearful of getting beat up front. And then I've railed about the game management stuff enough already, but it were kind of some of the decision making was really strange and all over the place. Like mm-hmm. when he went for it, when he didn't, it just didn't, there was no coherence to it. And that actually reminded me a lot of. I talked about rookie season Kyler. That reminded me of rookie season Cliff, where we were all kind of questioning whether or not he had figured out the game management aspect of being an NFL coach. Um, so let's just, to put a bow on it, like, do you think, do you think the Cardinals can bounce back? Because, boy, they got the Colts and then they got the Cowboys. This is not an easy schedule. That is going to be a fun game. Cowboys, the Col- the Colts game? Oh, I was going to say, the Colts game, I feel like they're just going to get sl- hammered. It does feel that way, right? Like, they're like the opposite of the Cardinals in so many ways. Like, the Colts are super well-coached. They might not have a ton of stars, but, like, they just are so physically overwhelming at times. Um, they're not stylish. Like, can you imagine Frank Reich living in Cliff Kingsbury's house? You can't. It, just, <laughs> it would not happen. Like, I, I don't know what Frank Reich's house is. Probably super cozy. Yeah, I imagine, like, a log cabin in Indianapolis somewhere. <laughs> a lot of um, pictures of his family. <laughs> right, and that's fine. It's good for Frank Reich. But, um... Yeah, I mean, the Cowboys game, I think, is going to be so difficult because, like, we don't know if Dak is healthy. We don't know if Hopkins is going to be out, but we don't know if Rodney Hudson is going to be there. And, like, if you have an offensive line that is struggling in protection against the Cowboys, oh, boy, that is going to be scary. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Got your happy price, price line. All right, Bill. Final apology from you, my friend. Final apology from me is to the Green Bay Packers, a team where every year. This is a good one. Stupidly, I write a column about which teams are likely to improve and decline. I'm always like, oh, well, here are the reasons why the Packers are going to decline. I looked at the numbers and historically, teams like the Packers almost always regress the following. The Packers, they break the rules. Like, like each year they do something that's just insane. And year one, they won a ton of close games. Year two, they were like the best red zone offense in the history of football. Aaron Rodgers went from being a guy they were about to try and replace to being the league MVP. This year, it's just like anything goes. From It's like a wild card from week to week. What are the Packers going to do to defy any expectations you have heading into the season? Think about the games they've won this year. They won the Cardinals game where A.J. Green fell asleep in the end zone uh, on that final play. That was, yeah. They won the game against the Bengals where um, mm. uh, Mason Crosby missed three field goals and Evan McPherson, who's been great, by the way, for the Bengals, missed two game-winning field goals uh, at the end of regulation and into overtime. They beat the Ravens last week when mm. the Ravens did not execute that two-point play. Mm. Like, in a vacuum, I would say, well, that's not likely to happen again. I, I, I'm, I, I can't bring myself to say this about the Packers anymore. Like, like <laughs> all, all, all the things I rely upon to tell me what to say feel useless, given how this team just manages to win games week after week, year after year. It feels like the right time to tell you that my Christmas present for you is a cancer culture hoodie. It's, come, it's coming in the mail. Um, and they've done all this after losing freaking Jair Alexander. Yes. Zadarius Smith and, and David Bakhtiari. Bakhtiari. He hasn't played all it year. It doesn't make any sense. It does make sense. Um, I, well, th- I think there's a couple of things at play here. This is a very well-coached team. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like, this has been such a weird, bizarro NFL season, right? There's so much parity and uncertainty and scorings mm-hmm. down and whatever. I do find myself kind of turning to the well-coached teams like the Colts and the Patriots and the Packers and mm-hmm. the Bucks and you know the, the Rams some like just thinking okay like at least I know this <laughs> and I, and but I do think that it really factors into their success on both sides of the football um they've been able to get incredible play I mean the Packers have been able to get incredible play out of like you know fourth round offensive linemen now for several years mm-hmm. shout out to the god Gudekunst but <laughs> You know, who could have seen Devondre Campbell coming to Green Bay and becoming a Pro Bowl yes. linebacker? He's all pro, maybe. Like, you know, it's it's wild, frankly. Russell um, Douglas. Russell Douglas. Yeah, it's just incredibly impressive. Um, and then, you know, Aaron Rodgers, I think, is the last probably five or six weeks is the best quarterback in the NFL mm-hmm. to me. Um, I guess... My question for you is, is there any reason to doubt them being the Super Bowl favorites at this point? Hmm. Oh, boy. Do Packers fans want me to say yes? I feel like... Yeah. Oh, right. Because at this point, you're such a reverse jinx. Yeah. I feel like I feel like I should say no so they, they can be further spurred on by my, my hatred. Do you get disrespect. hate? Are they mad at you for saying they'll regress every year? Uh, I know some... Te- I feel like Browns fans really hate you for that. Browns fans got really mad at me. 
And as it turned out, I was correct about the Browns. That's another story. Mm. By the way, Aaron Rodgers, last five weeks, 76.8 QBR. Number one in the NFL by nine points. Almost ten <sighs> points. Folks, it's happening. It's happening. 13 touchdowns, no picks, almost nine yards per attempt. COVID made Aaron Rodgers stronger. Stop it. That's, that's the only thing we can, only conclusion we can draw. Or, um, or the toe was holding him back. That's the, he- true. the healthy toe. It's like the Ewing effect. Was throwing him off. I don't know what you're talking about, but the, the toe the toe <laughs> threw him off. Um, yeah, I mean, like, like the one thing that comes to mind is the special teams, right? It just feels like, like, can they duck that one game where the special teams just falls apart? They did a couple weeks ago against the Bears, but they were playing the Bears. You know, like, can they do that against a team like, um, what teams in the NFC have good special teams? Mm, not the Rams. Not the Rams. I think the Bucs special teams are good, right? Just think about the actual contenders. Let's see who can get to football outside of special teams. <laughs> DVOA page we... I'm just throwing up the top the of my... The Cowboys! The Cowboys are third oh, right. in special teams DVOA. Right! Mm. Mm. Cowboys, Packers, at Lambeau for the NFC Championship game? That'd be juicy. Um, I mentioned I... this last week with Field... Or, probably Shield. But a lot of... I did this when I recorded the pod with, with Shield. Um, they do get Randall Cobb back at some point, and I wonder if they'll have him. They'll have him returning once he comes back. Do you think they're going to get Bakhtiari back at any point? I can't tell what the hell's going on with some of the injuries. I mean, I think so. They're all like practicing, right? Actually, I don't know if Sedarius Smith what the latest is with him, but I know Jerry Alexander is practicing. I think he's coming back for sure. With Bakhtiari, it feels like. He was close, and then they kind of had a setback. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, but he, did pra- he did practice last Wednesday, is the last so note. I, I've been on Bucks Chiefs for weeks and weeks mm-hmm. and weeks, but I've moved the Chris Godwin injury, which obviously sucks. Yes. Um, kind of push. I was leaning this way anyways, but now I'm on Packers Chiefs. Uh, feel like that's got to be the overwhelming consensus. Was that your preseason pick? No, Bucks Chiefs was. Bucks Chiefs was. Yeah, right. yeah. So I had what did I have? I had Bucks Chiefs last year, but then I picked really? the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl. Mm. So, oops, that's good preseason. Good preseason, bad Super Bowl. Turns out no one cared about the preseason prediction. That was really hard, <laughs> but a lot of people cared about getting the Super Bowl prediction <laughs> wrong. Um, I had Rams, Rams Chiefs before the before this season. season. I mean, yeah, Rams are looking. I see. I hope this that ages poorly. I suspect it won't after tonight's game. <laughs> um, I, I I think the Packers are the favorites, and I yeah. think you know maybe it's just that one week bias with the Bucks looking so bad against the Saints. They looked pretty good before that point, but mm. um, think about the Packers. Like they've lost three games this year, one of which was just a game where everything went wrong against the Saints, That's and it was right. Week One. Maybe we just taken it out of our mind because it was Week One, but otherwise they lose to the Chiefs when. Aaron Rodgers is COVID and Jordan Love plays and they hold the Chiefs to 13 points and they lose to the Vikings in a game that was back and forth and, and could have gone either way. Like, I, I just feel like they have been so difficult to beat this year. Well, Bill, you have nothing to apologize to me for because you have been a delight on this podcast. Thanks for doing this with me, but I appreciate it and happy holidays. Thank you, Mina. You as well. 